0: Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we had read last time about how the elders of Israel had come to Samuel and requested a king. They wanted a king, and um, and let's pick it up from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us, to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing also to you. Now then, listen to to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Okay, so they came to Samuel and they told him that they wanted a king. And it really hurt Samuel. It says in verse 6, it was displeasing to him uh, because they wanted a king to judge over them. They hadn't yet had a king. Remember, we looked at last time God had promised a king, but it wasn't yet the right timing for a king. The other problems were they wanted the the king to fight their battles for them, as we'll see. That was another thing. And the third thing is that they wanted to be like the other nations around them. So with those three problems, the timing was wrong. They wanted the king to fight their battles as if the king is going to do something for them that they wouldn't be able to do themselves. And thirdly, that that, um, they wanted to be like all the other nations around them. So, look what Samuel does. In verse 6, it says at the end of verse 6, And Samuel prayed to the Lord. What a novel concept. Something confronts us. And what does Samuel do? Samuel goes and he talks to the Lord about it. Isn't that interesting? That's a great lesson. And God then comforts Samuel to a certain extent. He says that, um, you know, they're not rejecting you. In verse seven, he says they're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me from being king over them. So this is not a direct rejection of you, but a rejection of me. And we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that. But let's read on and, and just get through the rest of this chapter because that way we can pull pieces out of it. In verse ten. And Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him of a king. And he said, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field and of your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go, every man to a city. So God told Samuel in verse nine, he says, tell them what the procedures of kings are. Maybe that will will shake them up. And so Samuel says, let me tell you what a king will do. A king is going to take your sons and put them in a a, uh, standing army. So up to this time, they didn't have a standing army. Everybody was in the army. When when a war needed to be fought, people went forward. But now they were going to have a dedicated army. And he says that that, uh, there's going to be commanders, commanders of groups of thousands, all the way down to commanders of groups of 50. Then there also, he's going to take... Your young men, he says, to do his plowing and his reaping. Because the king doesn't do this himself. He has this whole big infrastructure. And there's going to be now big government. And he's going to take these people to do this for him. Then he's going to take not just your sons. He's going to take your daughters too. And he's going to make them into perfumers and cooks and bakers. And then he says he's going to take the best of your fields and your vineyards. This is what the king's going to do. Whatever is the best of what you have, he's going to end up taking. And he's going to, and, and your olive groves, And he's going to give them to the people who work for him. They're going to become government property. And he's going to take a tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. So he's going to take his... A tenth of the seed, a tenth of the vineyards. Then in verse 17, he's going to take a tenth of your flocks. So, this is now the taxes that are going to be incurred. A tenth. It turns out that in Israel, people have done the calculation. And already, through the law of Moses, they were giving 23% just to the work of the tabernacle and the associated priestly work and the offerings that were to be made up. About 23%. Now, on top of that, you're going to get another 10%, which is going to be an added tax because you'll have a king. And generally, when you pay tax and people talk about more tax, you listen up. But if you don't pay tax, oh, well, you know, you don't worry about it. And I'm always amazed that when, you know, taxes are discussed, students just don't care. In fact, they say, oh, no, taxes are good. It pays for things. And I'll say, well, wait till you meet. Mr. FICA. And, and you wonder who that is. And you start paying. And it's amazing when they get their first paycheck. They thought their salary was X. And now it's X minus some large number. And they're like, what happened here? We had planned on, on this, this amount. And I say, oh no, that's the tax. Okay, well maybe one day I'll make more money. Okay, well then your tax will go up. <laughs> and... It's really interesting from my perspective to watch students who have these glowing eyes as students and everything's okay. And then when they get their real job, how things start to change and how their politics start to change (laughs) once they've graduated and they start getting a real job. And uh, I saw it it in my own daughter who argued with me that taxes are great, that I ought to pay more taxes. And then it came time for her to pay taxes and she had this tax bill, and I said, well, you, you know, you can give more. There's actually a slot right there where you can give more. And, and everything was now different. And she, she wanted me to pay the tax for her, because she had not saved up enough to do this sort of thing. And, and uh, so, so attitudes start to change. But the warning came. And then he says, and, and uh, I... So there's going to be this big government. And then he he warns them in verse 18. Then you're going to cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So you would think that after hearing all of that, they'd go, well, maybe it's not such a good choice. Forget we even asked. God warned them. If it says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us. You know, that's a dangerous thing to think about. That God gives us warnings, yet He does not force us. You know, in some ways, that that can be quite concerning. That He does release us, To do what we want to ultimately do. He does release us. And he gives us lots of warnings. And then in verse 20 you see that indeed it's because uh, um, we want to be like other nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. As if the king himself fights the battles. No, the king has you fight the battles. Remember, the king doesn't pick up the sword. He has you pick up the sword. And in fact, it's not just the attacks from the outside. I mean, the king decides he wants something or he's upset with a group of people. Now you have to go out and your sons have to go out now and fight on behalf of this king because he's upset with somebody. This is a you know, a pretty scary warning. No, we want that. Because we believe he's going to fight for us. You know, this sort of thing, we represent you, we will fight for you. No, I mean, it's the people who do this. Government has no money. Did you know that? It is individuals that have money. They give it to the government and the government gives, takes some and gives a portion back. It is people that do this. God is presenting this to them. In verse 21, now after Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. There you go again. Samuel had prayed. God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And then, once he does this, he says, but warn them. So he warns them, and their reply is, give give us the king anyway. He'll fight our battles for us. He'll judge us and fight our battles. So Samuel then recites what they said to the Lord. This is like counseling session. This is what it is. Samuel goes before the Lord and says, Lord, they said this. Now, God knows what they said. God has ears. He can hear. God can hear. But Samuel recites this to the Lord. This is a good thing. Look at the way this man Samuel, who has this really deep relationship with God, operates. He goes... And this comes at him, and right away, what does he do? The first thing he does, he goes and he prays. God instructs him what to do, and then the outcome of it, he goes and he recites this to the Lord. It is good to come before the Lord and to recite these things. Hezekiah, what he did when he had received a letter of warning that they were going to take over his entire city and kill him and everything in it, He took that letter and he laid it out before the Lord as if God didn't know what was in the letter already. But no, he took it and he laid it out before the Lord and put it before the Lord. This is a good thing to do so that when situations come before us, and I've done this on many occasions, where I'll print out an email and lay it out before the Lord and go and pray over this thing. And say, God, look what I'm confronted with. Because God then sees our seriousness in this in taking our problems to Him and voicing our problems. He knows what's in the email. It doesn't physically do anything for Him to see me put it out there. But it does something for me because I know I have focused in upon this. So here, Samuel is going and reciting these things to the Lord. So when you go to a counseling session, what does a good counselor do? Let's go with that. And then, you, you know, little by little, they draw this out of you. So the first thing you go, you sit there. How are you doing? I'm fine. Well, why? If you were fine, what are you, what are you doing here? And, but the counselor doesn't say that. Oh, okay. And so, tell me about how things are going. And all of a sudden, all this stuff comes gushing out from this person who was fine. All this junk starts coming out. So it's counseling session and this is what Samuel does he just lets all this come out to the Lord And the Lord hears him and the Lord welcomes Samuel and loves Samuel Samuel is able to take these types of issues to the Lord This is what he wants from us to do And what God had said to them what God had said to Samuel in verse Seven is The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me. This is very much like what Jesus said would happen. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And he talked about rejection that is going to come our way as believers when we stand for him. Matthew chapter 5, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus says, blessed are you when, when you bear things for his name. For his namesake. Blessed are you when you've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. If you've taken a stand on something that is good and right, and people have laughed at you and mocked you, Jesus said, You're blessed. That's what he specifically said. You are blessed when people mock you. He said that in verse 11 when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. So when you get insulted, for the case of Christ, you are blessed. And it, it doesn't say, blessed are you if people insult you. It says, when people insult you, it will happen. And you are blessed when that happens. So when that happens, you are blessed. I used to do door-to-door ministry, and I'd knock on these doors, and, and, and you know, I'd go in, in the, uh, the apartment complexes around the university, and people would, would, you know, I'd say, hi, I'm Jim Tour." I'd like to share with you something about Jesus Christ. And they'd, if they made some snide comment and shut the door, I was so happy that I didn't even have to engage them. And I got my blessing. Because it says specifically, when people insult you, on account of Jesus, you are blessed. So he says, "Take that framework upon you." He says, "This is exactly the way they treated the prophets who were before you." Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 says something even more striking. Verse 24. Matthew 10:24. "A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master." Verse 25 of Matthew 10. It is enough for a disciple that he becomes like his teacher, and the slave, like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So, um, so they called Jesus Beelzebul, a ruler of the demons, or specifically from the Old Testament, a uh, 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 ruler of the flies, which was, which was associated with demons. So, if they, Jesus said, if they said this to me, how much more are they going to malign you? So, when you get picked on for your faith, don't go running back and saying, look what's happened to me, I can't believe it. it we have been warned. These things will happen. In other words, we can almost say, if it's never happening to us, Are we witnessing anything? Because Jesus said, this will happen. These things, rejection does come. It says in in 2 Timothy 3.12, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. I mean, this is pretty clear. This is in 2 Timothy 3.12. That's pretty straightforward. It's going to happen. This is why when Samuel underwent this rejection, here is a man that his whole life, from the time he was immediately done with his weaning, up until his age, at 70-something years old now, he had served in the temple and given of himself. And then he had served as judge. From the time he was a boy, he was serving. And now he was being rejected. Imagine how he would feel. You know, I do one small little act for somebody. And I hand them the sugar bowl. And they don't say thank you and I'm offended. You know, one little act, I get offended. Here is a man who spent his whole life serving these people. And then, in addition to that, he had started this whole school of the prophets, trying to be industrious and going around on circuit and, and, and judging Israel. Never did he take anything. Never did he, he uh, um, did he, he gyp them in any way. This comes out later on in that in First in, in Samuel. Never did he take anything from them. That, that uh, uh, you know, certainly he received the gifts of a prophet to sustain him, but never did he charge them. And here he was undergoing this. So he felt rejected. Now let me share with you some, some things from, from my own life. You know, there are things that happen to us in life just because we're regular people. And then there are other things that happen because we truly witness for Christ. And sometimes those of us who are Christians and who let people know that we are Christians feel that the normal stuff that happens, people are doing to us because we're Christians. Sometimes we can overreact. And it's really disgusting when we get a chip on our shoulder. That, oh, they're just saying this to me because I'm a Christian. No. I think he's saying this to you because you're a slouch of a worker. You see what I mean? You see the difference. Um, One day, you know, I, I reserved the chapel... Every year, I reserve the chapel on Thursday mornings from 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. for the faculty prayer meeting. And so I do that every year. And so the second year that I was doing this, I've been doing this now for 10 years. So the second year that I I started doing it, um, I put in the request, I I called up on this phone number for the person through which you reserve the chapel, and they didn't call me back. And, you know, it was like, a week, and I still didn't get a phone call back, and I was thinking, yeah, this person doesn't like the fact that we're using the chapel for something godly. You know, the chapel should just be there for, you know, ungodly things, but because I'm a Christian, because it's a Christian event, therefore they're not calling me back. And so this, I started getting this log on my shoulder, you know, and I was ready to fight this thing, and you know, call them up and leave a nasty message and things like that. And then finally, after about a week, a little over a week, the person called back, Oh, I got your message. I've been away on vacation. Sure, you can absolutely have it. That's great. And I'll book you right for it. You see what I mean? You you know, in my own mind, I had been building this thing up, that I was being abused because I was a Christian. It had nothing to do with that. The poor person was just on vacation. And so I realized I had to be really careful Not to overreact as a believer, to think that people are saying or doing something to me because I'm a believer. It may have nothing to do with that. Because did you know people who are not believers get dumped on as well? People that are not believers get reproved. People that are not believers get overlooked. And so we have to be careful that that we don't walk around like that because it's, it's, It's hard, it's difficult for unbelievers to deal with us if we get a chip on our shoulder. And we think that everything that's happening to us is because we're a believer in Christ. And I know that coming from a Jewish background as well. You know, this person's not doing this for me because I'm Jewish. You know, and and you think, oh, come on, that doesn't... No, that happens sometimes. You know, and historically it has happened. Right? And so... As a Jew, you can get a chip on your shoulder about this as well. And so, as a believer in Jesus who comes from a Jewish background, I should have two chips on my shoulder. But by and large, I have never, well, the vast majority of times, I have not been judged in my career based upon my being a believer or based upon my being a Jew or anything like that. It has been strictly upon you know, academics, how, I have, how, how have I performed. In the midst of what Jesus says, that people will come against us, there are other verses that speak truth, that speak patterns that can go well also. Look in, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. In Proverbs chapter 16, there's a very interesting verse. In verse 7, Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You You can garner so much favor, even from your enemies, when you're pleasing to the Lord. You can get a lot of favor this way. And our response is to be different. Let me share with you an instance of what happened once. Once in a a faculty meeting, some people came against me because I had invited Hugh Ross to campus. And and, uh, uh, one person said, I cannot believe that that, that Jim had sent out an email inviting all the faculty to this event. And I I was like, there must be a Jim here that has nothing to do with me. It didn't even cross my mind that I had done something offensive by inviting people. And then another guy started in on me. And then I realized he was talking about me. And, you know, Hugh Ross speaks about this concept of intelligent design. And so I thought, you know, this is an academic institution. He's an astrophysicist. And let him come in and speak. And, and uh, you know, we're an open academic institution. Well, one guy lays into me and he says, there are three axes of evil. And this is at a faculty meeting. There are three axes of evil. I'm like, axes of evil? (laughs) Child pornography, Holocaust denial, and intelligent design. (laughs) And so the person leading the faculty meeting said, well, obviously some people here are really upset. Let's go around and have each person discuss what, they, what might be upsetting them. So totally off guard. I had come to a faculty meeting for something quite different. And so each person was going around and some people said, I have nothing to say. And other people were like, one woman said, you know, you know that Bible you gave me eight years ago? Uh, Bible eight years ago? I said, you know, I give out so many Bibles. I don't specifically remember. But now that you mention it, I do remember there was a time that you were having difficulty. And I probably gave it to you to help you. She said, well, you terrified me with that. Oh. And, you know, then the first person who had shared had already walked out. He said, I just can't take it anymore. So he vocalized and then left. So I couldn't even... I had nothing... Back to say, and then after everybody went around and said what they needed to say, the person leading the meeting said, There's a lot here. We better go around again. <laughs> and so they went around again. And so, anyway, you know, I, there was only one person that came to my defense. And, and he, not that he cares about the gospel at all, he says, This is a university. There's freedom of speech. And it would come down on the side of freedom of speech. And, and so that was, that was his argument. Nobody else took my side on anything. And I didn't say much. I mean, there was not much I could say with the, with the group. And when I went back, that person who had voiced something had sent an email to the entire department. Graduate students and everybody saying, because Professor Tour had sent out that email, which was totally inappropriate. An inappropriate email? I just didn't even think. I was just invited... I think that you should do what, now this was many years ago, I think that you should do what I have done, and that is to exclude him, in other words, block him, so that you can no longer receive any of his emails. And you know, that's to exclude me from the whole, and he sent this department wide. So anyway, I went off and I, I had to leave that day on a trip. And the person leading the faculty meeting says, you better call so-and-so. They were obviously very upset with you. I said, I would have loved to have talked to him here in the meeting, but he just voiced himself and walked out. But I will call. So I called him and left the message. You never call back. I left town that day. I was in California. And God just started speaking to my heart. And this verse started coming to me, which, which is from the Gospels. And Pilate's wife said to Pilate when he was, had Jesus on trial, she said to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I suffered greatly in a dream because of him last night. That verse just kept coming to me. So I went to bed, I was quite peaceful, went to bed, although I was, I, I was quite hurt, you know, that my colleagues were like this, that, you know, I gave out Bibles that I shared with a person and they were been offended by that. And so... That night I slept quite well, I woke up in the morning and I checked my emails and there was an email from this individual who had walked out, who had sent the email. He says that uh, he, he, the email started, you know, I, I had uh, written a long email justifying myself what I did at that meeting today. This was to a few of the people who were in the faculty meeting. But I've deleted it because I realized I was totally off base and I had a miserable night. And, you know, was this verse coming back to me that, that, you know, I slept quite soundly and he didn't. And um, he apologized for not letting me express myself. So anyway, a few weeks went by and I saw him at a faculty meeting. He had still never responded to my voicemail message that I would love to get together with him and talk with him. He walked up to me at a faculty meeting. He said, for the rest of my career, I will probably regret what I said to you. That was so wrong of me. And I said, look, don't worry about it. I have said so many things that I regret. I'm the master at saying things that I regret. And you know, I wanted to make them feel, you know, because I have. I mean, I say things all the time. I mean, these messages. Sometimes I go back and delete segments because I've, <laughs> I, I, I regret what I've said. And this guy has become one of my best friends in the department. And he is an advocate for me all the time. And I come back to this verse. That, that uh, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. These sort of verses come just drilling right back to us. It says in Luke chapter 6 that we are to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for those who mistreat us. This is to be our response What are we to do when people come against us in this way? The Bible is very specific in Luke chapter 6. Bless those who curse you in verse 27. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless them. Pray for them. Show mercy to them. It says, if you are only good to people who are good to you, you're just like the Gentiles. No, but you are to be good to those who mistreat you. This is our commandment as believers. In Romans chapter 12:21 it says do not be overcome evil but do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good to do good in return. Romans 12:18 says if possible so far as it depends on you be at peace with all men. As much as you can be at peace with all men. It says if possible so far as it depends on you. Now if that person is not going to let you Relate to them in any way. Then that's out of your hands. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, there's to be openness. And there have been times in my life when I have not been open to people who were willing to let it be open. And I have regretted it. I've regretted it. So God calls us to a higher ground. We will be, we will be hurt. We will be... Rejected because of who we are as believers. Jesus warned us of that. But our response is not to reply back in kind, but to overcome evil with good. And some of these people, when they see the way you respond, will become some of your best friends and your best advocates. God will cause even your enemies to be at peace with you. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Lord, I pray Your blessings to be upon these young people. The blessings of God to be here. Father, that they would learn to enjoy the richness of Your blessings. Father, I pray that You'd give them hearts to walk uprightly, that when rejected, that they would forgive. And Father, that they wouldn't desire to be like the world around them or push things at an improper time. Father, I pray that they have good lives. Lives that are dedicated to You. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, Amen.